on a Sunday morning in Las Vegas. It's just after 8 o'clock. I'm Spencer the Wiz, and this is Out of Line. We are here same time every Sunday on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. We are coming to you from the Wiz Den in Las Vegas because coming on for two years now, the pandemic has forced us out of the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio. Joining me on the show is Chris Wynn, longtime radio presence in the Las Vegas area. You can follow him on Twitter at Christian Wynn. And that's what two ends at the end. <laughs> and uh, back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio is producer Chris Magnum Chapman, who, aside from producing a number of shows at Lotus Broadcasting, is a locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights radio network. This show is also streaming on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live, Twitter, and YouTube. The page is called Out of Line. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. Follow the show on Twitter at Out of Line Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. What's on Tap brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company to turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 today to get information on all the home financing options available in Nevada. On Tap, the Vegas Golden Knights have lost their last three games, two of them being against really bad teams. UNLV basketball is out after the first round of the Mountain West Tournament against a team they just beat. Major trades in the NFL that have that have to be discussed pretty much. And James Harden is an absolute disaster against the team he forced himself out, basically the team he forced himself out of. And at the end, we'll talk about it's a selection day, so that's obviously a very important thing. What's on tap? If you're looking to buy a home or do you or to refinance the home you currently own, choose a company you can trust. Residential Bank Corp. Funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 for details on your home financing options. Chris, how's it going this morning, man? It's doing. I'm doing great. Good to be with you, Wiz. And, uh, of course, our uh, our esteemed colleague, Brian Feldman, uh, out today. And out this week, actually. So, myself, you, along with Mags, uh, he, he missed a little bit this week, right? Yeah. So much going on here in Las Vegas, particularly on the college basketball front. But uh, we also have an NHL franchise here and one that uh, has, of course, garnered a ton of news that we're going to dive into here, given that uh, it's a team that has been in the playoffs every single year of its existence. And this year, it looks like that is in jeopardy, Wiz. And uh, we shall see whether or not uh, they're able to kind of right the ship and maybe get back to where they can be there. But uh, it's going to be a tough stretch, to say the least. Let's put it that way. Yeah, we'll bounce back to Magnum. How are you doing back in the studio before we go into nightcap? I'm, I'm doing all right, guys. Uh, got to hang out with Chris a little bit at the Mountain West Tournament. Uh, wasn't there yesterday, but got to hang out with him Thursday night and Friday night for the uh, quarterfinal and semifinal. And I can just say this. The show has been canceled by Boise State. And thank God for that, because there's nothing worse than watching San Diego State fans come into the Thomas and Mac and celebrate. I can remember when they were one of the worst programs in all of college basketball. Steve Fisher obviously changed the culture, changed everything about San Diego State. Now they've gone from lovable loser to a hated college basketball team for for UNLV fans. And, uh, you know, good on Boise State. Happy for for those guys and those fans. And uh, especially for my boss because uh, their, their son... My boss is, I should say, their son is a member of the Boise State Band, so uh, he got to come down and party 
with the Broncos, and now he'll be off to the NCAA tournament. So uh, kind of fun for those guys, too. Not too shabby, but uh, one team that isn't doing so well is the Golden Knights, so we'll go ahead and get into it. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. The puck does start here, and it seems like the puck is going through the back of the net for the opposing team a little too often. The Knights have lost their last three games here. Um, Only four goals in the past three games, too. Lost to the Flyers, Sabres, and Penguins. The Penguins are pretty good, but only two goals in the Flyers and Sabres game combined. Uh, Well, I guess there's only one place to start for me, and I have another big point coming up, but the backup goalie, Laurent uh, Brossois, he he stinks on ice for me. I I don't know how you guys feel about this. I mean, this guy's just not very good. Chris, I know you like Robin Leonard, and I I can almost concede that at this point. He's fine. But, I mean, this guy just – he's not doing so hot, at least as of recent. you got to agree with me there. Well, the the, the problem is <laughs> Laurent Brossois is a backup. He was brought in to be a backup. However, where I have an issue is he's a very expensive backup. And, uh, you know, I mean, look, at, at some point and, – and this goes for, for, for every goalie in the NHL, not just Laurent Brossois, but sometimes you have to make saves that you're not supposed to make. And I don't see a whole lot of that from Laurent Brassois. The, the Some of the goals he's given up the last week have not been very well, not been very good. I mean, the goal he gave up against the Ducks, the first one, I mean, they ended up winning the game, but the first goal he gave up, that was kind of a yikes moment for me. Uh, look, the, the reality is it's not just Laurent Brassois. The entire team needs to be better, Spencer. And here's the deal, right, Mags and Spence? The, the Golden Knights, this is where they need to start winning, right? I mean, we're talking about a logjam in the Western Conference when it comes to uh, a run towards the Stanley Cup playoffs. You cannot have scenarios present themselves like the Golden Knights have had where you're on the road against a team that you are absolutely superior to in the Buffalo Sabres and lose that hockey game up there in, in upstate New York. You know, obviously, you know, the next night you're playing against the likes of the Pittsburgh Penguins and you get down 2 nothing in that hockey game. You end up tying the game up and then getting boat raced the rest of the way and lose to the Pittsburgh Penguins. This is a team that uh, needs every single two points that they can get in, in, in every scenario possible and have not been able to do it as of late. We're talking about a team that's four and six, which is averaging, what, 2.3 goals a game. That's not going to get it done. you got to find a way to light the lamp much more often if you're the Vegas Golden Knights. And look, the goaltending situation, it's been long discussed. We can go back and forth. I've had debates. Uh, I've talked about it with Mags. I've talked about it with uh, everybody across the board over at Fox Sports Radio, as well as you know, uh, even super fans like Daniel Negreanu, who is all on board with when it comes to Robin Leonard, right? And you know, we get into it about the whole, you know, should should they or shouldn't they, should they or shouldn't they have let go of Marc-Andre Fleury? And, you know, you know, we can debate it till the cows come home. The bottom line is this, that Robin Leonard is the number one goaltender in Vegas. He's going to be the guy if they're going to be able to make a run in the Stanley Cup playoffs. They're going to need him to be consistently really good. And I think he has the ability to be really good. The problem is the consistency thing. And, you know, there's been too many situations this season where he's given up goals that he shouldn't have given up at, at, with his uh, caliber of play between the pipes. And, uh, 
if it continues here as we go down the stretch, it's not going to be very good for the VGK. Yeah, so I, I want to go into my theory a little bit here on why the Gold Knights have struggled so much, and not just this year, but in years past in the playoffs and even in regular season games. There's no real leader of this team. And I remember in the beginning, there was no captain because it's like a makeshift team, right? So you don't really know who to give it to. But then they waited a really long time to make that happen. The first thing is, I don't even know who the captains are in the Golden Knights. Who are the who are the supposed leaders of this team? Do you know? Well, Mark Stone's the captain of the team. And Mags, I, I'm going to be interested in his take on this because he's around the team much more than both of us. But uh, I would expect that it would be Mark Stone. I would expect that it would be Jonathan Marshall. So I would expect that yeah, Riley Smith would take a leadership role as well, too. And then, of course, Robin Leonard, right? I mean, uh, look, I get it. It's his first season as the number one guy. You know, there's not, the, you know, a 1A and a one guy there as far as goaltender for the Vegas Golden Knights. But, you know, in my humble opinion, I think that is what the leadership structure should be when you're talking about Vegas moving forward. Magnum. Well, the, the the captain is Mark Stone, and the alternate captains are Alex Petrangelo and Riley Smith. Uh, those are the three guys who have been tasked with being the leadership on this team. You know, the the, the, the the funny thing is, early on in the franchise's existence, we heard the, the, the phrase, there's 23 captains in the locker room. Well, now the leadership has, has been given to Mark Stone as the captain. Mark Stone has not been in the lineup for over... 30 games this season. Max Pacioretty, another former captain with the Canadians, he's been out of the lineup over 30 games this season. Look, we, we can debate all day about the leadership. We could debate all day about the goaltending. At the end of the day, you win the game by scoring goals. This team cannot score right now. They have played 14 games since the All-Star break. They have only scored three or more goals in five of them. They actually lost one of those games to the LA Kings Pretty uh, early in February, they lost that one 4-3. to three. Look, they're getting embarrassed by not scoring goals against some really bad teams. They made Carter Hart, who's had a really, really good season, look like a Vezina Trophy candidate the other night in Philadelphia. They get shut down by 42-year-old Craig Anderson. The guy's as old as me. I mean, and I certainly can't go out there and, and play any sport, let alone a professional sport. And Craig Anderson shuts him down the other night in Buffalo, to, to, to add salt on the wounds, Peyton Krebs and Alex Tuck both score goals in that game. The two guys you gave up for Jack Eichel. Jack Eichel booted every opportunity the Sabre fans had to do so the other night. Kind of a little bitter, salty. I hope they get over that because I don't think Jack is a bad guy. I mean, shame on the guy for wanting to do what's best for his health and the ownership in Buffalo refusing to allow him to do that, right? I mean, imagine that. The guy wants to look out for his own career, and wants to look out for himself and the Sabre fans, boom. But Spence, Chris, this team right now cannot score goals. As I mentioned, only five games since the All-Star break, you, you, you score more than three goals or three or more goals, I should say. Two of them against the San Jose Sharks, who are an abysmal team. Look, they're lucky because if the playoffs started today, they would be in. However, you look at the numbers here. And they lead the Dallas Stars by one point in the standings for the last wild card spot. However, the problem is Dallas Stars have three games in hand on the Golden Knights. You have to figure with one or two wins, they should be in a, in a playoff position. Right on their tail are the Vancouver Canucks, only three points behind. They also have a game in hand. Golden Knights, they t are tied with Edmonton right now. However, Edmonton also has that game in hand. 
I'm going to uh, look, I, I think it might be time. And I've always been the glass half full guy with this franchise. I think it might be time to push the panic button for this reason. I don't think they win in Columbus today. I certainly don't think they go to Winnipeg and win. And then they come home on Thursday and they play maybe the best team in the entire NHL and the Florida Panthers. I don't know if they're going to win that one. They could be looking at a stretch here where they are 0-6, and and then they have an absolute must-win game next Saturday against the L.A. Kings, or it might be lights out for these guys because I just don't know where the goals are going to come from. I'm, I'm worried about the health. Max Patch already left the game against the Penguins again. He's no, no. We have no idea on his status for today or the remainder of the of the road trip. Look, this it it, it legitimately might be time to push the panic button here, guys. And Mags brought up this the injury situation. Wiz, this is an opportunity tonight today though. We're taking out a team in the Columbus Blue Jackets. Look, it's a team that's floating around 500. You do like the you know. Uh, what uh, guys that, uh, you know, especially uh, uh, players, the likes of uh, uh, with the uh, Blue Jackets. So you've got, uh, you know, uh, uh, Boone Jenner's had a, a tremendous season with, you know, over 20 goals and almost almost 45 points. Verasic's a quality player. But this is a team that Vegas should get right against with the Columbus Blue Jackets, right? They should be able to to get goals in uh, in key spots with Jonathan Marshall. So, and, uh, you know, Jack Eichel, a guy that's had four goals over the last 10 games for Vegas. So, uh, you know, everything that uh, Mag said is correct regarding, uh, you know, what they are facing moving forward, particularly with that matchup against the Florida Panthers. But uh, this is this is a Vegas Golden Knights team that, you know, is over 500 on the road, okay? Despite the fact that, you know, uh, the sky is falling a lot with Vegas Golden Knights fans here in town. This is a team that should be able to perform against lesser teams on the road. And uh, one of those opportunities, Wiz, is today against the Blue Jackets. Yeah, and the thing I was trying to talk about with the leadership thing is that every team goes through struggles. I mean, unless you're like Tampa Bay a couple years ago where you won like every regular season game. But even that fell apart for them. And then no one stepped up for them to have that impossible goal or to say something at halftime or between periods, I should say, not halftime. Uh so we just I haven't seen that since maybe year one. Carlson kind of did that in year one where he's just he just did some crazy stuff and it got the whole team pumped. And there's just none of that. And somebody should be stepping up to say something, but nobody is right now. So it's pretty interesting. We'll have to see. Uh, we'll transition over to UNLV basketball. And, uh, you know, they lost 59 to 56 against Wyoming. They were outscored 31 to 22 in the first half. Okay, let's talk about the game first. What did you guys see? What did you think? I mean, kind of disappointing, obviously, but what happened, you know, in that game? I thought that uh, UNLV was absolutely live in that matchup against Wyoming. Wyoming, a team, obviously, that that kind of had the biggest chip on their shoulder when it came to Mountain West teams going into the NCAA tournament because a lot of people, particularly nationally, were talking about how they weren't worthy to play in the NCAA tournament and it looks like uh, right now that they're they're probably on the outside looking in when it comes to the tournament. We'll find out today, obviously, with the NCAA selection show. But uh, UNLV, look, uh, uh, Wenzel, Brandon Wenzel had ended up having a big game off the bench for the Cowboys. They scored the last seven points of this game and uh, ended up uh, edging UNLV in this matchup. But the problem was, and uh, Mags, I'm sure you're going to concur when it comes to this, Look, we understand Bryce Hamilton is a tremendous player, right? We're talking about one of the best offensive players in the country this year, probably a top seven, probably eight player in the country from that standpoint. But what has destroyed running Rebel basketball all season long, uh, regardless of the opponent, 
is the rest of the people in the backcourt just not producing. We're talking about, you know, the likes of, uh, you know, Michael Nuga, you know, uh, Jordan McCabe, as well as uh, Keyshawn Gilbert and, uh, and Webster. In this basketball game, all those players combined had one field goal. That's not going to get it done. I mean, I, it's it, to me, it's as simple as that. Look, you can get, you know, uh, a quality game out of Royce Ham Jr. You can get Bryce with a huge game of 22. You can even have uh, guys like Milwaukee and, uh, and, uh, and, and Williams having a big-time game as well. Williams ends up with 20 points, right, and was solid in 31 minutes. But if your guards are not contributing, and if it's all of your guards except for Bryce Hamilton, that's going to be problematic. And that, I think, is what, what, uh, what bit UNLV in the backside against the likes of Wyoming on Thursday Thursday afternoon. Well, part of part of the problem, Chris, is that the Bigs also got into foul trouble for UNLV. And, you know, you you mentioned the the lack of scoring for guys not named Donovan Williams and Bryce Hamilton. Everyone else on the Rebel team combined for 14 points. <laughs> uh, Hamilton and Williams go for 42. Everyone else goes for 14 combined. That's not good enough to get the job done in the Mountain West Conference Tournament. Look, I mean, I, I, I think... What we've seen this year is Kevin Kruger certainly has the ability to to uh, coach uh, in in this conference. I think he, he did a really good job considering he really didn't have much of a team. Um, I think the team was dealt a big blow when Vicky Waka was was ruled out prior to the start of the game. He shows up in street clothes and he's not going to play. I think that that kind of hurt the team a little bit. But yeah, you, you mentioned some of the guys: Nuga, Muaka, McCabe. Look, I mean, those guys needed to be better in order for this team to win in the conference. I, I, I will say this, and I don't I don't think it's any hot take by any stretch. I don't think they would have beaten Boise State in the next game regardless, but I would have liked to have seen them get that win against Wyoming. At least get, look, this team hasn't been in the semifinals in the Mountain West tournament since Dave Rice was coaching the team. That's now our, what, what are we talking, four coaches, three coaches ago? Um I guess it's four if you include the interim coach when when Rice was fired. So, you know that that's not that's not something you you want to pound. You want to beat your chest about because certainly UNLV is one of the marquee programs in this conference. At least they have been for a long time. But I think what the Mountain West is doing is they're kind of proving that they can get the job done without UNLV. It used to be that UNLV, New Mexico, and San Diego State were kind of like the 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 benchmarks of the Mountain West. We've seen a little bit of a tilt in that Colorado State, whether it was under Larry Eustacey and now under Nico Medved, where they're able to get the job done. They're an NCAA tournament team. San Diego State is, is the benchmark program in the conference. Boise State under Leon Rice have been really, really good. Fresno under Justin Hudson. They have an opportunity every year to be a spoiler in this conference. So, you the, the, the and I can't forget the school up north with uh, Alford. You know, another another program that will probably be on the rebound next year. But the reality is UNLV needs to be better. This isn't the Charlie Spoon hour days. This isn't Lon Kruger where you can just roll the ball out and UNLV is going to have a better team and better talent than 90% of the teams in the conference. The conference is caught up to UNLV New Mexico, and they've passed them. So now the, the, the challenge for UNLV is to get some players in, get some guys who buy into the system. Look, I watch San Diego State play, and they are ugly on offense. Just an absolutely abysmal team to watch. They're they're terrible if you like fast-paced basketball. But you know what they do? They defend unlike any team 
in this conference year in, year out. It doesn't matter if it was Steve Fisher, Brian Dutcher. Those guys get those guys. They, those guys get their kids to buy into a system, and they get them to play hard. You never see anyone from San Diego State taking a playoff. You never see anyone from San Diego State lollygagging up the court, not getting in the in the offensive player's face when, when they've got the ball. Look, this is the program that you want to emulate if you're in the Mountain West. San Diego State has, as much as it pains me, and I can't stand them, and I can't stand the arrogance of the program and their fans, that's the program you need to emulate right now. Because it used to be everyone wanted to be UNLV. Those days are long gone, and UNLV needs to do something to recapture that. And they need to do something where they are the marquee program in this conference. Again, I believe Kevin Kruger can get the job done, but I'm going to put it out there. Unbelievably disappointing turnout by the Rebel fans to not show up and support that team that for the first time in almost a decade played really hard. They won a bunch of games down the stretch against teams that were better than them. And to no show in the first round of the Mountain West tournament to actually turn the the Thomas and Mack into a Wyoming home game, absolutely disappointing on the fans. That's on you guys for not showing up. Unbelievable. Those kids deserved to have people there cheering them on on Thursday afternoon. I don't care what time the game is. Take the day off from work. Look, I had to work. I found a way to get down there. You know, everybody needs to to, to support this program. they got to support Kevin Kruger because it doesn't get back to where it needs to be without the fans. Mags, I could go on a 34-minute rant with regarding the fans at UNLV on that afternoon game on Thursday in the Mountain West Tournament, but I will not do that. But I will kind of just add on a little wacky stat for you, Wiz, regarding uh, what Mags was talking about. And, and uh, kind of funny, Mags, right? Because you're talking about San Diego State, how just unwatchable it was. I mean, how many tweets across the board were, t- were aimed at that San Diego State-Fresno State game that was just, uh, just awful to watch from an offensive standpoint. But let me tell you something. That running Rebel-Wyoming game wasn't pretty offensively either. We're talking about two teams that were in the 50s. Right. I talked about uh, the ineptness of uh, UNLV in their backcourt. Look, Wyoming won this basketball game, but they weren't exactly electrifying from an offensive standpoint by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, Graham E.K., you know, their big time player, he's he ended up four or 14 for the field in the game, ends up with 11 points. Yes, he had 13 rebounds, but that's not an E.K. type of game where he goes for 11. Obviously, Maldonado, another big time player for them, he ends up with 11 points in this game, it ends up not making a three point shot. And uh, they needed the likes of uh, Jeffries and Ducell. Ducell hit that big shot late, obviously, the three-pointer. That was big for them. But, uh, you know, look, they had a little bit more balanced scoring. And the difference, you know, in my opinion, was Wyoming got some production from some of their supporting cast that UNLV did not get. But uh, no question about it. Uh, you know, there, there were a couple of games, okay, in the Mountain West tournament that, from an offensive standpoint, were just atrocious to watch with and uh, but uh, defensively, yeah, you're talking about some of the better teams in the country from a defensive standpoint. But uh, it was rough. If you, if you like watching, uh, you know, majestic shots and alley oops and, you know, offensive uh, basketball, it wasn't pretty at times. No question about it. But uh, everything that Mag said regarding the fan support, spot on. I don't understand it. I've talked about this numerous times on the airwaves here at Fox Sports Radio regarding UNLV fan support. Is someone who went to a Division three school in the Northeast, okay, where we had 1,500 to 2,000 fans every game, regardless of what our record was, who we were playing at the Division three level. It is, there's no excuse 
whatsoever for an afternoon game in the only game that you end up playing in the Mountain West Conference that a Division I program, I don't care that they haven't won a national championship in 30 years. I don't care about, you know, their uh, feudal success in the last decade plus. You need to have the fan support there when you have a first-year coach and, and that has done what, what Chris Magnum Chapman talked about in the last 10 minutes with this program. There needs to be support there, and it was not. The Wyoming crowd drowned out the Scarlet and Gray Wiz on Thursday afternoon, and there's absolutely no excuse for it. Well, I'm going to clap back a little bit. I was a student. I, w- I went to UNLV. They weren't watchable the entire time I was there. Literally, a, It's a un- Division I basketball it's program. An un- it's an unwatchable. It was this year. It's- this year, I'll give it to you. What are college students doing on a two th- at 2.30 on a Thursday? Okay, this is what people don't understand. UNLV what? is a commute college. There okay. is no okay. sense of community at UNLV. I don't know if there was before. I wasn't there. I can tell you the four years I was there, it barely counts as a college. It is just a secondary school to me. There is no school pride anywhere. I bet you... Bryce Hamilton could walk through the entire campus right now and maybe get stopped one time, maybe. And if you're a few enough beat football player, you better be tall because no one's even going to look your way. That's the truth of but it. But Wiz, that's, that's a problem, reality. though. That's a problem, okay? Well, We're kind of highlighting the problem and saying that it should be fixed, okay? I understand. You're, no, no. look, you're, 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 uh, you're giving a rationale for it, and I get it. But, you, you know, a commuter school, I mean, there's 20,000-plus students, right, at UNLV. Correct me if I'm wrong. 20,000. Okay, you only need you only need two, three, four thousand to show up at basketball games. It's a it's it's NCAA Division one hoops. It's big time college basketball. I mean, there, I, I just don't see the, I don't understand the excuses. I'm not saying you are. I'm saying I don't understand the whole rationale. It's a computer school. I mean, my school is computer school is Division three. Okay, we had four thousand students there and we still had two thousand fans show up at college basketball games. I don't get it. How I many people? Don't. How many people around town do you see in general wearing UNLV paraphernalia? N- n- like never. How? How? Uh, seriously, like hoodies. Think about like, Mags. What do you say to that? Were, I say there's there's a fair amount if, out. If I mean, you were in college Ala- team, if you were in it's Alabama, a, if you were in North in Carolina, you are seeing that caught. Like people wear that thing with pride. People do not wear a lot of UNLV clothes with pride. That I've seen. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you guys see it everywhere. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you right there, both of you guys. Um, my, when I was in school, Charlie Spoonhammer was the coach of UNLV, and he had guys like Marcus Banks. He had guys like Daron Johnson. Look, they were they were a good program, but they were not an NCAA tournament caliber team. They lost, I believe, two finals in the NC in the Mountain West tournament. I think they lost to San Diego State, and they lost to uh, Colorado State when I was a student there. My senior year in, in, in UNLV was Long Kruger's first year. When I graduated UNLV, they were the only program in the Mountain West to not make an NCAA tournament during the four years I was there. There were still hundreds and thousands of students who showed up to watch those games, maybe because they were fun, because they were entertaining, and maybe because they were the only game in town at that point. There were no longer the Las Vegas Thunder. There obviously were no Golden Knights. There were no Raiders. The football team was still was was actually competitive. They went to a bowl game under John Robinson when I was when I was here. So um, look, it, it, it's it's it comes down to marketing, which I believe they've done a better job of, and it comes down to community pride. 
have some pride in your local college. You know, you know why people represent Alabama or represent North Carolina? Look, because the teams are good. People jump on the bandwagon, and that's the reality of it. I can remember when Alabama wasn't very good at football. A, a, a prime example, I can remember, and, and Chris, I don't know if you were in Vegas when, when this happened, but the first Super Bowl that the Rams won, I saw more people wearing L.A. or St. Louis Rams gear in this city because they were from L.A. And they were like, yeah, that's our team, the L.A. Rams. They moved to St. Louis win the Super Bowl. Then the team went in the, the – when when Mike Martz took over for Dick Vermeil and the team stunk, all that Rams gear disappeared. Guess what? The Rams go back to the Super Bowl win. All of a sudden, I see people wearing Rams gear again. It comes down to winning – college basketball games. You want people to support you, you got to win. But you know what? This team did win this year. This team was pretty competitive against a couple of really good programs. Look, they beat NCAA tournament teams. People got to show up and support this team because if the, if you don't, they're not going to they're they're not going to achieve the heights. The reason San Diego State has has wins so many games at Viejas is because they have a raging lunatic section called the show who show up I don't know what the hell happened to the rebellion. They kind of disappeared. And let me throw real one real quick note on this, okay? Because, look, I'm not trying to compare UNLV to Kentucky or Duke or North Carolina or, you know, I'm a Michigan State guy or UCLA, okay? We want to compare UNLV running Rebel basketball with the other teams in the Mountain West, okay? There is absolutely no excuse, okay, that you would have more fan support for a program in Laramie, Wyoming, for example, for the Cowboys, right? Or in in, in uh, Logan, Utah, for the Utah State Aggies, or at, in, in Colorado, for Colorado State, or for for Air Force. To me, I mean, when and I and I use this argument, and I, and I bring this up all the time, and nobody can ever give me a decent counter or a decent argument against it, all right? You think about programs in this conference, maybe San Diego State, okay? Maybe San Diego State should be able to out-recruit, out-draw, out-have more just flat-out support and, you know, people around it than UNLV basketball. That's my opinion. San Diego State is the only program to me that should be uh, having, that should not have any kind of issues regarding this, just like UNLV. UNLV should be the second premier program in this conference. That's my opinion. And so all the other stuff would fall into place, in my opinion. Okay? Fan support, recruiting, all right? All this. Uh, success on the court. It should all be, you know, it should all kind of float towards that direction. And to me, that's, that's, uh, that's kind of the bottom line for me. You know, I, I just, I don't understand how programs, I don't understand how the Thomas and Mack Center, and Mag just talked about it, okay, can be loaded up with Wyoming Cowboy fans to the hilt, and then you've got, you know, 30% UNLV support in that arena, and you've got 70% Wyoming support. I don't buy it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I think it's crazy, and that kind of, and I extend that to other programs in the Mountain West that shouldn't be anywhere near that as well, too. To me, I just, I, it's, it's incomprehensible to me that UNLV is not one of the top two premier programs in the Mountain West Conference. And hey, Kevin Kruger now is in his first, just finished his first season. We'll see if he can kind of ramp things up and maybe get 
running bat, running Rebel basketball back where it belongs, and that's at the top of the Mountain West Conference. Well, he's, he's probably going to have to do it without Bryce Hamilton, too, which is, which is going to be a, a, a major task to replace because Bryce probably should have been the conference player of the year. I say that, obviously, with my UNLV tinted glasses on, but... The, the reality is Bryce Hamilton was by far and away the best player on this running Rebel team, and I don't know how they replace his production. Look, I think Donovan Williams is going to be a really good player, but the consistency level is not there yet. Bryce kind of struggled with that early in his career, and he got very consistent this year. I don't think I, – I know Bryce has another year of eligibility left. I don't think he's going to be back because, I quite honestly, I think he's got an opportunity to maybe at least make – an NBA roster, look, if, if it comes down to playing in the G League or whatever the hell they call that, that minor league, I, I don't know if that's the route I want to go, right? But if, if I'm being told that I have a real opportunity to be on an NBA roster, there's no chance I'm coming back and risk injury or, or something other, like maybe I have a down year or whatever. The, the, the reality is this team is going to have to find a way to get the job done without Bryce Hamilton because, I like I said, I don't think he'll be back. Next year, I think he's good enough to, to to at least make an NBA roster. We'll we'll see. I mean, obviously, look, they were in they were in contention for a high level top fifteen recruiting. Ended up choosing Arizona, and look, let's be honest, can't say I blame them at that point because Arizona is probably one of the number one seeds in the NCAA tournament, especially after winning the Pac twelve title last night. But I I think it, it's going to come down. Look, I I'm not expecting Dave Rice level recruits to walk through the door tomorrow. With Kevin Kruger, because I, I mean, look, what, whatever Dave Rice was able to do to get some of those really good players, the Ken Birches, the Anthony Bennett's, into or onto Maryland Parkway, I'll never know. But he got he got those guys there. The problem was once they got there, they he, he couldn't coach them up to win enough games to 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 make an NCAA tournament and win games in the NCAA tournament. But I think you know this is going to be a real interesting offseason for the Rebels because they are probably, like I said, they're going to lose Bryce Hamilton. They're going to lose Royce Ham. They're going to lose a couple of other guys. So, you know, now you have to, to – this was this was the first step. Now you have to take that next step. And I'm not going to say it's NCAA tournament or bust for UNLV because I think that's a little unfair for a guy in his second year of coaching college basketball. But I do ex- expect this team to make another stride and take another step forward and be – a little bit better in the Mountain West and maybe compete for a top three or four seed. This year they were the five. I'd like to see them in the top four. And, hey, if you're in the top four, as we've seen this year, I still don't think Wyoming is an NCAA tournament team. I don't think they get the at-large. But they, they they were certainly right there on the doorstep, and I think that's all you can really ask for. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll say a few things to wrap this up. I don't think the season was disappointing because I think we all agree that there were no expectations this season, so we can't just put expectations at the end and say we're disappointed. So, yeah, you would like them to see go, you know, go farther in the Mountain West tournament, but it just didn't happen. So, but like you said, Mags, uh, Bryce Hamilton uh, is a senior; he'll be gone. Royce Ham's a senior; he'll likely be gone. Donovan Williams will probably be back, but outside of those three guys, and we talked about it earlier. No one scored more than three points on the team outside of those three guys. And two of them are probably going to be gone. So a really big recruiting class coming up, probably a lot of grabs from the portal. Uh, and, and this is the last thing I'll say about UNLV basketball when it comes to attendance. And I guess I have an implicit bias in me because I have a very strange relationship with the college that I went to. And it's for this one reason, because I think they see us as commodities. The 
so after the October 1 shooting, literally the next day, so the morning of, no one really knew what happened. UNLV's first tweet, the, the official account for UNLV said we're open for business. That, that was the first thing they said about the entire disaster was that we're open for business. And to me, that just says you're a commodity. Their students were at that thing. And I, I like I don't want to get into too far into it, but that's all I'm saying. I think that's why you have some strange relationships and that they don't really view us as a real school. They just want our money and they want us to go to classes. Now, that may not be true. And I won't say that about the sports programs at all. I've been treated very nicely at the basketball games. I've been being treated amazingly at the football games. I'm just saying that the leadership who runs that school, I don't trust them. That's all I have to say. And I think that's a big reason why students have no interest in going to these games. Uh, we'll go ahead, uh, getting a little closer to the end here, and we'll go into... Facts this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. Yeah, it is a fact. There were some major trades in the NFL in the past weeks, and we'll start here with Russell Wilson. He gets traded to the Broncos. The Seahawks received Drew Locke. Noah Fant, defensive lineman Shelby Harris, two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and a fourth-rounder. A fourth-round pick got thrown into the deal with the Broncos and Russell Wilson. Does this make Russell Wilson and the Broncos a title contender right away? It's interesting because initially when I saw what the Seattle Seahawks got back in the trade, I thought to myself, and I'm sure a lot of the average Joes and average Janes out there were like, wow, Seattle got a haul, right, for Russell Wilson. Uh, a guy who, uh, you know, obviously he's won a Super Bowl in Seattle, but uh, uh, a lot of people believe, obviously, he's on the back end of his career. That being said, there's no question about it, Wiz and Mags, that uh, Seattle, or excuse me, that the uh, Denver Broncos, I think, are a better football team, given the fact that Russell Wilson has a plethora of weapons there in Denver, as long as everybody is healthy to throw to and to hand the ball off to. So this, I think, just ramps things up when it comes to the AFC West even more, this was already Mags and Wiz going to be an intriguing division as all get out to watch. And this is coming from a guy who follows the NFC North. All right. At going into the 2022-23 season, I was already fired up about this, obviously, because of uh, the situation here in Las Vegas with the Raiders and, uh, you know, some of the changes being made down in Los Angeles with the Chargers. But uh, this is a division that is... Uh, just all kinds of interesting, and uh, that even gets even more so with Russell Wilson now up there in the Mile High City. Am I am I the only one? And and I, I I'm going to assume I am, but am I the only one that thinks maybe Russell Wilson is a little overrated? Like, I mean, look, he he's good, but I don't think he's in that elite quarterback territory anymore. He was for a a period of time early in his career. But when I think of elite NFL quarterbacks, Russell Wilson isn't the guy who's jumping out at me. Like I said, I think he's good, and I think he certainly improves. He's better than what they've had in a long, long time. But, I mean, I, I don't instantly think that this makes the Broncos a Super Bowl contender. In fact, I don't even think it makes them division title contenders because I don't think the team around him is all that good. I mean, he he had a hard time carrying the Seahawks, and he had one of the best receivers in the NFL in DK Metcalf. Now I understand they had some other issues up there in Seattle, but I don't know. I, I mean, I think this was a panic move by the Broncos. I think they, I mean, they didn't give up a ton to get him, but I think that they 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 thought that they were going to be able to get Aaron Rodgers, right? They hire 
his his offensive coordinator, and all of a sudden, oh, Aaron Rodgers is going to end up in Denver. Well, that didn't happen. Well, the Broncos had to do something, and they went out and they got Russell Wilson. But I don't think this automatically makes the Broncos a, 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 a one of the better teams or a great team in the AFC. Look, at the end of the day, I'm still taking Pat Mahomes and Justin Herbert over him. I think the Chargers are certainly going to be able to, to – to, I think they're going to be improved, right? Especially considering what they're adding on the defensive side of the ball. I think that move by the Chargers is a better move than the Broncos going out and getting Russell Wilson. Well, it, the whole storyline with the Broncos is that they were quarterback away, and that's what kind of the underlying theme of it was, that they just couldn't win games because of who they were. Now, this is what surprises me most about this trade, is that the Seahawks, not that they traded Russell Wilson. I mean, everything, every story comes to its end, like in some point, and happy there and you're going to take care of the guy who won you Super Bowl that's just how it comes down to but they wanted Drew Locke back they couldn't get anybody else they had to get Drew Locke this guy isn't a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL that's a fact so I don't know if they threw him in just so they could have somebody to throw out there I mean was that really the best option for them no offense fine he's okay he's a like middle of the pack tight end maybe upper greater than average something like that Shelby's good too and I don't know. I guess it depends on how confident you are in their drafting. Now, they get they did get DK Metcalf pretty late. He had that neck injury in college, so that's why he dropped so far. But everyone knew he was going to be amazing. Him and A.J. Brown, they both fell too far. But so you have to have a lot of confidence in your front office. But that's the part that I want to talk about the most. I mean, the Seahawks get Drew Locke back. Is he really going to be the starting quarterback for the Seahawks for 16 or, I guess, 17 games next year? Could you possibly conceive that? Well, Madge, what's hilarious is, is, is Wiz just dropped this right Watch Drew Locke go out there and just have kind of a renaissance, right? Watch Drew Locke go all, you know, I'm a new face in a new place. I've got DK. I've got, you know, these receivers out there that I didn't have, you know, in Denver, although I did have great, uh, some great receivers, you know, young, great guys in Denver, a lot of injuries that they had. Just watch different situation, Mag. Watch, watch Drew Locke go there and turn into actually something that resembles an NFL starting quarterback in Seattle. And uh, that would be kind of crazy, wouldn't it? Yeah, I don't. I don't think that happens. Look, Teddy Bridgewater was was their number one quarterback last year. Drew Locke is, well, he is what he is. I think we we kind of know. Um, you know, look where where the, where the Broncos have some strength is they they had two running backs both approach a thousand yards. Neither one of them got there, but Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon both had pretty good seasons running the ball. I just don't know if if look. It's obvious that Russell Wilson is an upgrade from Teddy Bridgewater. I don't know if they were just a quarterback away, though. I know that that's the narrative, and I think people want to give John Elway a ton of credit, right? I don't even know if John Elway has proven to be that good of a front office guy. But, you know, I I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's going to be interesting, and they'll certainly be better. But I, I don't see them just going out and being this this elite team now that they've got Russell Wilson. I mean, like I said, I think Russell Wilson's a good quarterback, but the team would have been a whole lot better had they been able to get Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, every team would have been a whole lot better had they been able to get Aaron Rodgers. But look, I, I mean, I don't think Russell Wilson makes them a Super Bowl contender. I know everyone's all over. Oh, my God, they're, 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 they're going to be so much better. Look, they will be better. I don't know if they're Super Bowl. I don't even know if they're playoff better. They might be. They might be in the position that the Raiders were in this year. And look, maybe they'll be battling the Bengals. And, you know, I I. I, I I, I'm just going to put this out there, but I think the Steelers are going to go out and make a big move for a quarterback as well. And I think they may end up getting a better quarterback than Russell Wilson. I'll just say that. Yeah, well, here's the interesting thing, because 
not last year, but the year before that, the first half of the season, Russell Wilson looked like an MVP. That was the conversation. And then he was terrible. I mean, he was really bad for the rest of that season. Everyone's like, what kind of Russell Wilson are we going to get this season? He looked okay in the first couple of weeks. I just had that really bad finger injury, and he just wasn't good the rest of the season after that. Probably shouldn't even have come back. So we don't really know what we're going to get out of the guy. And that'll be the interesting part of all of this. But this will be the most interesting part of all of this. And I'll ask both of you to rank the AFC West teams next year. Now, it doesn't mean that that's how it's going to finish out, you know, in the division. I'm just saying who would how like based on talent, I guess, alone, how would you rank these four teams? If you'll start with me, uh, it kind of leads into your interesting question, right? Because you talk, you pose the question, you know, are the Broncos a quarterback away or are the Broncos a Super Bowl contender? And I just think flat out, no. And just the reason, the captain obvious reason being, there's just better teams in the division, right? And the better teams being the Kansas City Chiefs are the best team in the AFC West. I think the second best team in the AFC West is the Los Angeles Chargers at number two. Then I think the Denver Broncos are the third best team. And then I put the Las Vegas Raiders at number four. Now, I might be, uh, in my personal opinion, a tad bit disrespecting Vegas in the situation because I think this is a team that could absolutely turn out to be, and uh, I'm kind of stealing this from another national radio host, they could be the Arizona Cardinals of this uh, this past season, the the, the Las Vegas Raiders, given uh, what they have personnel-wise, and I think Derek Carr can still up his game to another level. I'm not saying an astronomical amount. I just think that he can play. I think he can actually perform at a tad higher level, and that can make a difference for this team moving forward, especially, obviously, with Josh McDaniels now uh, at, at the helm of that offense. So that's where I would rank the four in the AFC West right now. I don't think I'm too far off from that. I I, I think, you know, the reason I, I would put the Raiders behind the Broncos is I think there's a lot of question marks Going into the offseason, we don't know how we like we 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 we've heard it right. Oh, Josh McDaniels has learned from his tenure with the Broncos. He he's going to be an improved coach. Look, I don't believe in any disciple of Bill Belichick until they actually go out and get the job done. The reality is there haven't been any disciples. I mean, I guess Mike Vrabel's been somewhat successful, but he hasn't made a Super Bowl. He hasn't won a Super Bowl, so I think that's that's kind of where where the, the the bar should be set. Josh McDaniels was a disaster in Denver. He was a disaster for what he did with the Indianapolis Colts. Until he goes out and proves that he's not the typical Bill Belichick disciple, I think that stigma's got to hang over his head. And I think that's why I would put the Broncos ahead of the Raiders right now because there's just a lot of question marks, right? We don't know what they're going to do in the offseason to get better. I, I think they're going to go out and make some moves. I think they're going to they're going to try to get better. Um, look, I mean, until someone knocks them off their perch, the Kansas City Chiefs are the team to beat. I think uh, I almost call them San Diego. I don't think I'll ever not do that. But I think the Chargers are going to take another step forward. Justin Herbert, I think, has the potential to be in that elite quarterback discussion. He's not there yet. But, man, I, I when I watched him in that game against the Raiders uh, the day after Christmas, I think it was, with the playoffs on the line, I saw a guy who was a lion. I saw a guy who who is going to tear the league up for years the the moxie that kid has the arm 
the ability he has to extend plays, the way he stands in the pocket and he's able to take a, a, a hit and sometimes escape that pressure as well. I saw a guy who's going to be a really, really good quarterback in the NFL. Um, I saw that with Joe Burrow as well, and, and who knew that that team would end up going to the Super Bowl. But until someone knocks Kansas City off, they're the team to beat in, in the AFC West, and I think the Chargers are not too far behind, especially with the Khalil Mack addition. I think that that is going to certainly make them a much better team, especially on the, def- you, you know, I mean, you, you look at what they've got on defense now, you're like, wow, all of a sudden the Chargers are are, are going to be a team that can knock on the door. I do think the Broncos, only because I think there's a little bit of maybe consistency there. And the Raiders are the big question mark. Look, I could see the Raiders finishing second. I can see them finishing fourth. I think it's really going to come down to Josh McDaniels and the moves that this team makes in the offseason. Yeah, well, we we know they just restructured the contract of Colton Miller and uh, Kenyon Drake. They freed up $14 million against the cap, which is a very significant number, which to me shows that they're gearing up for something. You don't need $14 million for a draft, and I think they already had a little bit of cap space other than that. So we all know that they're targeting J.C. Jackson, the uh, cornerback from New England this offseason. That would be a huge trade for them because the rookie last year, the safety, he was probably the best safety in the draft. Like, and he was before and he was during the season. He was great. So if they can pair him maybe with another guy, then you're talking about something a little more serious there. We all know they re-signed Max Crosby too. That's something they just had to do <laughs> straight up. So there's, I mean, it's not the most exciting move, but it's like he didn't go anywhere else, which is the most important thing. They didn't have to franchise tag him. They didn't franchise tag anybody. So we'll, we'll see what kind of moves they make. But you're right, Cleo Mack, he went to the Chargers and that was kind of surprising. Now, I know a lot of people in Raider Nation wanted Cleo Mack back in black and silver, but here's the reality of the situation. They have Yannick and Dockway and Max Crosby. That's got to be enough. You can't spend another $20 million on another defensive end as like a guy who you just have to try to fit in, to me. He plays a defensive end position. That's where he's going to play, and that's where those two guys play as well. So they, they're going to have to do some other things creatively, defensively, and um, it's, it's kind of a pipe dream more than anything. Wiz, uh, he brought up, uh, Mags brought up, of course, uh, Josh McDaniels. I kind of wanted a quick take from you because you know as well as anybody, you're, uh, you know, Raider Nation out there, a lot of devil's advocates will talk about his tenure with the Broncos and say, you know, it's a completely different situation. Now he has his guy and Ziggler as the general manager. Your thoughts on what Josh McDaniels brings to the table for the Las Vegas Raiders? I don't know exactly what he brings, and he obviously wasn't, he did a lot with little last year when it comes to offensively. You know, he had a great run game. The Raiders have some really good running backs. In fact, they have three. I don't know why they have three, but they do. And that was the big signing last year, right? Kenyon Drake comes in for like too much money for to be the third, like the third running back on that team. It made no sense at all. But luckily they were able to restructure his contract. Look, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of the thing. Like, I guess that's the that's the reality of the situation. I'm gonna root for the guy. Everybody is in Raider Nation. I mean, the expectations are playoffs because they were in the playoffs last year. That was the first real playoff game since 2002. Derek Carr got hurt in that last playoff game before this one, so it wasn't a real playoff game. Connor Cook started. The guy played at Michigan State. He's terrible. But, uh, you know, he ended up playing in the XFL too, But which is funny enough. He didn't even make it there. Uh, but, no, so we'll, we'll see. And uh, this is going to be a really big draft. Look, the draft has been a disaster in the last four years. You know, they got Max Crosby. They got Hunter Renfro late. But, Look at the slew of guys who they wasted. Jonathan Abrams probably isn't going to be on the team in two years. Cleland Farrell, I can't believe he's still on the roster now. He's terrible. And you can just keep going down and down. And then you know, the first-round receiver, they should have never even have drafted him. 
Uh, he actually, he obviously made a huge mistake. He looked okay this year, but yeah. So, I mean, it's going to come down to the draft and I think more than anything, and we'll see what happens from there and to see if this franchise can do some normal things. And I talked about this in an article that I wrote that this a little surprising a little bit, you know, you kind of want to bring back Versace, but uh, you know, he, he just kind of was in there. He was a guy, I wish they would have kept him on special teams. It was a really bad mistake and green Bay ended up picking him up, which is a great addition. I mean, they lost because of special teams last year. Now they did make a few blunders in the playoffs on special teams, but when you're in a head coach, I mean, you got so many other focuses. Um, but I do, I want to get back to the chargers just for a second here. I mean, they were on the cusp of making the playoffs last year. And I, I'm thinking in that last game specifically, I know you can't really do this, but I imagine Cleo Mack was in that last game specifically last year. I can't imagine the Raiders win it if he's playing well. I mean, it really came down to the fact that Derek Carr was able to sling that rock. So the, to me, the Chargers are the second best team in the division. Justin Herbert, I mean, he looked like Joe Montana out there in that last game. And they obviously lost just like uh, Josh Allen looked amazing in that Chiefs game and they still lost. So I know they have a few other holes defensively, especially at the cornerback position, you know, for that L.A. team. But I think Khalil Mack is going to be the difference with Joey Bosa. I mean, that's a pretty scary defensive line. Is it the best defensive line in football? It might be. Hey, man, let me tell you something. That Chargers defense, we talked about a lot about the Los Angeles Rams and having, you know, almost the best player at every level of the defense. Well, you talk about Khalil Mack. You talk, obviously, about uh, Derwin James. And, of course, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Bosa also on that squad. They got some other guys, too, that are underrated on that defense. This is absolutely a Los Angeles Chargers team that is 100% live when it comes to the AFC and making some noise come playoff time in that uh, in that conference. So I, I, I absolutely concur with you, Wiz, that, uh, look, it's, it's a division that's going to be so intriguing to say that as all get out. I mean, it really is. And uh, and unfortunately, I think the Raiders are just the, the fourth team in that division when it comes to that interesting and intrigue uh, across the board. Oh, yeah, so, there's, just, there's one last yeah. thing I wanted to talk about with the AFC West. When I look at all these graphics, I put Derek Carr right up there with a Super Bowl winning quarterback, you know, with another Super Bowl winning. Russell Wilson is, is now in the division two. Bachelor Holmes won one and Justin Herbert. And then it's like and then there's Derek Carr. He is not even close to the same level as those guys. Look, he's he's a better than average quarterback. He's in a, very much above average. He is not in the same tier as any of those three quarterbacks. I think we have to dead that. Colts fans out there, by the way, if you think that Derek Carr is going to be the reason you win a Super Bowl, you have lost your mind. You would now be you wouldn't be anywhere near Super Bowl favorites with Derek Carr. He is not that good. Mags, I think Wiz is sleeping on some of the numbers. Derek Carr put some quality numbers up last season. As far as Two NFL turnovers in a playoff game, that's all I need to know. Yeah. But, okay, but it is selection day. I didn't. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about March Madness. Any? I'll just ask both of you guys really quickly. Any surprise picks? Like, what do you? What are the big predictions for you today? I'm a Big Ten guy, so I think I, I'm just. I, I just have a feeling the Eli and I are going to shake things up. Look, I get it. There's the Dukies out there with Coach Kane as last season, and there's Gonzaga up there in Spokane, which what looks to be, by the way. The first team from a non-power conference since UNLV in 1990 to try to win a national championship, and the Bulldogs have a real chance to do it. I like the Illini guys, though. I like the Illini. All these teams in the Big Ten that are good or great, I think the Illinois can really shake things up. Come Sorry, Magnum. I think we are out of time. The Wiz, that's Chris Wynn in the studio. Obviously, Chris Magnum Chapman. Thank you so much for watching. We'll be back same time next week. This is, this is out of line.